everybody. Welcome back to the Grey Malkin Lane podcast, where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics in continuity order. Today, we are continuing our review of Astonishing Tales, the series from the early 70s. Uh, today's issue will seemingly have nothing to do with the X-Men, but it's a delightful romp between uh, Kazar and Kraven the Hunter, picking up from our episode last week. This issue also features, and here's where the tie-in is, the first appearance of Garak, the petrified man, who is a very obscure but delightful X-Men villain uh, who a lot of people know through his connection to Zaladane, who makes her first appearance in the very next issue, which we'll get to later. Uh, today's issue uh, is called Frenzy on the 40th Floor. I am so excited to have my friend Sarah Gailey coming back to join us. Uh, Sarah's art collaborator on the incredible series Know Your Station. Uh, Liana Kangas is here. What an honor to have Liana here. Uh, as well as uh, a person whose name I have seen in approximately seven jillion Marvel comic books, the incredible Alana Smith. Uh, let me have you each introduce yourselves. Let us know your name and pronouns, uh, where we might know you from. And uh, today's intro question, have you ever witnessed something very uncivilized in a civilized space? Uh, let's begin with uh, Liana Kangas. Hi, Liana. Welcome to Green Malkin. Hello. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is awesome. Uh, I'm Liana Kangas, they, them. Uh, you might recognize a lot of my cover work with a lot of publishers like IDW, um, Vault Comics, and a lot of my sequential work with publishers anywhere from 2080 to IDW to IPs like, you know, uh, Archie, um, and my creator-owned books, including Know Your Station with Sarah Cayley at Boom Studios and True Cult uh, at IDW Publishing as well with Scott Brown Wilson. And I would say that I want to answer this question, but I am from the most uncivilized place, Florida. <laughs> so I think I witness uncivilizedness at all times living there uh, in civilized places. But I think the biggest crime to humanity might be uh, going shoeless in stores. I don't know. Uh, have you ever met the Florida man? The infamous Florida man? <laughs> I'm actually a little offended that you didn't recognize that I was the Florida man. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. Uh, and then over to Alana Smith. Hi, Alana. Hi, I'm Alana Smith. Uh, she, her. I am an editor in the Avengers office at Marvel. I've been there for almost nine years now, which is crazy to say. Um, it does not feel like that long. I feel like I'm new and everything is new. But <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so for most of that time, I worked on various titles in the Avengers office. And at this point, I'm mostly working on stuff related to Captain America and Scarlet Witch and uh, the various characters around Thunderbolts, like uh, White Widow, which is the book that I'm working on with Sarah. Um, and yeah, so it's just a... A nice, a nice smattering of of projects, uh, and I got to work on uh, romance comics for uh, the Marvel Unlimited app last year, which was really fun. Um, called Love Unlimited, so yeah. And always, oh, there's, uh, there's like a murder of crows and a smattering of projects. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And my my uncivilized space, or no, my uncivilized action in the civilized space was actually recent. Um. I was very tragically stuck on in an airport with flight delays a couple weeks ago, and I was like slowly losing my mind. And I saw a man and a woman standing by the windows where the, the planes were just kind of like boxing at the windows. 
And I felt a deep kinship with them because I also felt like punching the airplanes that weren't taking off. So like, <laughs> so in that moment, I actually respected it, but they were going a good long time and they were just, just boxing away in the, I don't know if they were in a line. I couldn't really tell. Um, I don't know what the story was, but it gave me a laugh in a rough time. So there's that. I feel like, uh, I feel like an airport or an airplane is like the barometer for this question. Cause it's like oh, people yeah. clipping toenails on an airplane. <laughs> like, it's like the basic. Oh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, and then over to someone who all three of us love, uh, Sarah Gailey. Hi, Sarah. Welcome back. Hello. It is always such a pleasure to be invited back to this just completely delightful podcast. Um, I am, as mentioned, Sarah Gailey. My pronouns are they, them. Listeners will know me from previous episodes of this podcast in which I have expressed my deep and abiding love of uh, characters like Kandra and, of course, Craven the Hunter, which makes me so excited about today's episode. I have also had the immense honor of getting to work with both Alana and Liana on various projects. Um, as Alana mentioned, we worked on White Widow together recently. Issue four is going to be coming out um, pretty darn soon. And I'm, oh, I'm very emotional about it. Um, <laughs> and then my recent creator-owned project with Liana, Know Your Station, um, which is out in Toto, including the uh, collected trade right now. Um, I think obviously my most important contribution, though, to the world has been my uh, appearances on this podcast. And <laughs> um, in answer to the question about uncivilized things in civilized spaces, I myself has, have contributed quite a lot of uncivilized behavior to civilized spaces. Um, I, in the last few months, I've been traveling quite a lot and have had to figure out how to deal with things like needing to change my bra in the middle of the airport before the plane takes off or figuring out how to get around a beverage cart because my period started as the plane was taking off. Oh. Um, so I've been, I've been the uncivilized one and uh, you know what? I'm just embracing it. I'm, I'm embracing my role as Kazar of the airport. Maybe we should just not categorize airports as like civilized spaces. Like no one is sane. In I think airport, it's an anything goes. Yeah. Like we're all just anything doing goes. our best in there. I think. Mm -hmm. uh, Sarah, survival mode situation. Exactly. Exactly. You do what you got to do. Sarah, I'm glad we got to it early because I feel like every time we talk, your bra comes up in, in every conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what is present part of my life. <laughs> I uh, I got the uh, realization a minute ago that although uh, uh, Sarah and Alana have worked together remotely on a book uh, extensively, this is their first time meeting. I always love those yeah. moments in this show where but... people get to meet, uh, which is lovely. So uh, we had to start, yeah, I was going to say we had to start White Widow pretty fast because I think the launch date was coming up so fast. So sometimes with projects like that, you just kind of get in a groove of emailing each other because things need to happen so quickly. And I don't think we ever did a phone call or a Zoom call, which is crazy. Um, no, this is my first time hearing your lovely voice and seeing your <laughs> lovely face. And I just, I, I am just feeling very overwhelmed with joy and gratitude. Ah, me oh. too, me too. Smile. <laughs> Everyone's smiling so big. I love it. Uh, lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. I am a former Marvel Comics writer. Uh, so Tom Brevoort was my boss for a lot of years. Uh, a lot of, although you and I have never met. Uh, I'm also a graphic uh, graphic novel writer, a memoirist, and a documentarian. Uh, currently uh, the host of this show, which I balance with my odd day job of doing crisis therapy in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, 
the uh, the uncivilized uh, behavior that comes up for me, I uh, I have weirdly seen this more than once. But like walking out of a restaurant or a club and seeing someone like sitting in the street fully masturbating is something that I oh, have no. crossed like four different times in my life. And that's, that's too many far, times. That's by far the sweet. most uncomfortable. You sound cursed at this point. That's <laughs> yeah. You know what? There is like a, a common thread here. Maybe it's time for some introspection about what you're bringing to the street. <laughs> Maybe I should just stay off the streets. I'm getting old anyway, <laughs> so standing for more than a few minutes makes me tired. Uh, we uh, we are obviously going to have a great time today. I'm so excited. We're going to start uh, with Know Your Station. I uh, I had read this issue uh, or excuse me this series previously before I met Sarah for the first time, but I had. I hadn't read the conclusion until last night, so I got to read the full story all in one sitting. Uh, this is a delightful story. Sarah, I'm going to begin with you, and then we're going to talk about Liana's amazing uh, pencils. Uh, my intro question for you, Sarah, is why do you hate rich people so much? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I have a functioning soul, um, is reason number one. That will surprise a lot of my readers. Um, no, I mean, I... I truly do despise the exploitation of people and resources in the interest of enriching the few. Um, I think it's absolutely monstrous. And having spent some time um, in the company of very wealthy people, I can I can testify that they do not see the people who create money for them as human beings. Um, they consider themselves to be a different species than us. And so... I think it's appropriate to treat them with a reciprocal amount of respect. Uh, Liana, your pencils on this book, and I'm unfamiliar with your art style. Uh, I haven't read your work comprehensively. I've read a few of your things. Uh, by the way, preemptive announcement, uh, Liana's going to be doing a, a, a print of a White Rabbit for my wall, which I'm so excited about. Oh, character oh my God, amazing. Uh, White Rabbit's incredible. Uh, Liana, your sequentials, uh, you you have a lot of like talking heads moments. This is a mystery. It's a, it's kind of a crazy space romp. Uh, there's a lot of buildup. There's a lot of confusion about what's happening. My favorite character in this book, by the way, is uh, is the AI St. Bridget, which I think is, is phenomenal. Uh, but there's a lot of sequential work mixed in with uh, some really beautiful murders, uh, which is a funny way to phrase it. But every page where you draw these giant splashes of murders, it's horrifying, but also gorgeous. And the colors on this book are phenomenal. I would love to hear a little bit about how you approach storytelling from artistic uh, uh, perspective and how you kind of choose the projects you want to be involved on. That's a great question. I don't think I've ever been asked that. <laughs> um, I uh, am a huge fan of horror. So when Elizabeth, uh, our editor, approached me about this to match Gailey and I to work together, I read Space and Horror, and I said, absolutely, because I'm a big fan of like 2001 A Space Odyssey, um, Alien, things like that. I've been a huge sci-fi nerd for as long as I can remember. Um, and I'm a big horror movie person, so integrating those two don't happen very often, but when they do, sometimes it's the same equation over and over again. And when uh, I was told about these specific murders and you know i think gailey used a reference uh of um oh shoot what's that show hannibal um and a couple other things and realizing that both elizabeth and and uh sarah were referencing a lot of media that i liked a lot and 
uh, and that I enjoyed and thought was artfully done, I was like, well, absolutely, this is like the project for me. And also I could take my own spin on it because I think when you have a couple decades worth of content and don't have anything new or fresh to add to it, I think it, you know, gets a little stale and having this opportunity with them, I think was not only something that I was extremely interested in, but it ended up leading to us becoming friends and great collaborators. And also for me to really let loose with my style, because previously most of my work was all sci-fi and fantasy um, or uh, very niche, like IP, like 2000 AD and stuff. So uh, this was a great way for me to kind of draw what I want and the acting and things like that, but then also do horror because I'd been wanting to lean into horror and I had done uh, True Call, which is sort of suspense, supernatural horror, yeah, but not quite in yeah. the full slasher realm, you know, like the gore and things like that. So um, when Sarah and I had our first meeting with the rest of the Boom team, uh, they had approached me and were like, how do you feel comfortable uh, drawing gore but like in a sexy way and I was like that sounds great to me I would like to try that you know in a way that's like approachable that conversation was so funny too because it was our first time meeting and you know professional mm -hmm. and personal boundaries are quite important to me safety is very important to me and I was trying to figure out how to ask like how do you feel about drawing murder but like kind of horny but of like a new colleague. <laughs> and yeah. I think it was the most awkward communication I've ever delivered. <laughs> <laughs> so and needless to say, it worked out great. And, um, you know, working with them and our editor and the rest of the team allowed me to lean into a lot of things I've never drawn before. Granted, not great for my web search history. I'm sure my internet provider is like, this person's on a list. Um, but body body it, hanging from ceiling, sliced open <laughs> and dripping blood on the ground. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm very proud of that book. It uh, became me a much better, uh, I became a much better artist. It I think it exponentially grew my work, not only in sequential, but also in horror and uh, Listen, I got so much out of it. I can't complain. This, it was like a gift to me. Um, and it was actually, my editor did send it. Uh, I think it was like days before my birthday. So I was like, wow, this is really best present ever. You know what I mean? So I, I will right say, on time. I haven't gotten a chance to read Know Your Station yet, but I'm a sucker for a good like premise title combo. And I think when I saw that announced, I was like, God damn it. Why didn't I think of that first? It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they have to know the space station, but they also have to know their social station. Oh, my God. And that's like, oh, man, when I when I see like something that's like so simple, but so like clever like that, I'm just like, man, I'm so mad I didn't think of that. And one of the <laughs> and one so of the good. best one of the best character names of all time, Alberto Fairmilt, which is so great. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty so good. So much fun naming these characters. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I did just want to like echo what what Liana was saying about how this project gave us so much because it's like doing a creator owned comic is great, right? I love writing IP, but doing a creative a creator owned project that was so. Uh, came together so beautifully is its own reward but also like getting to make friends with someone as amazing as liana is like 
far and far and away like one of the biggest gifts my career has ever given me. I uh, I love living in a world where I'm seeing uh, people that I respect, but who identify as queer, working on these incredible books with complicated characters. It's wonderful, Liana. You draw going through uh, both a uh, true cult and uh, and know your station again. You draw like these sequentials of like very exasperated women who are like caught up in the, like the the day to day of their life. Like I, I I adore your facial expressions. They're very subtle, but there's like an energy about it that I, I really appreciate. It might be my favorite part of your pencils, but I uh, I really enjoyed uh, just kind of going through all of that at once. You you when you when you're reading someone, I like when I'm prepping for an interview and you like look at a bunch of work in a row. You start to notice trends, and I was like, oh, there's a lot of really exasperated people who are like very bored with their lives <laughs> it made me happy somehow I don't know if that's an interesting piece of feedback or not <laughs> oh no I love it um one of the biggest compliments I get on my work is like the acting uh that I draw and that's by far I think what I've always been reaching for I don't know if it's because I wanted to be like an actor or something at some point but I know how to draw and that's way easier and I think a lot easier <laughs> for me to not be on camera so it's nice because it's you know, most of the books that I agree to work on in terms of creator own, they're just in some way I've resonated with how most of the main characters have felt in some way or another at some time. And it's pretty much true for both of those books. So that that's a huge compliment. Yes, absolutely. Alana Smith, I have had the opportunity to interview a lot of your contemporaries like Sarah Bronstad and Annalise mm -hmm. Pisa and Tom and Jordan, and uh, I, I'm always impressed by the body of work. But when I was looking up your name and kind of figuring out what I wanted to talk to you about, I'm like, I'll pick a couple of my favorites out. This is the list that I made, and this is not even like a third of <laughs> your work. Like the books I wanted to talk to you about, including everyone, just listen to this resume. <laughs> Uh, Power Pack Into the Storm, New Avengers, Thunderbolts, White Widow, Uncanny Avengers, Thor, A-Force, MODOK, Civil War II, Captain Britain and the Mighty Avengers, Captain America, Sam Wilson, Mockingbird, Jessica Jones, U.S. Avengers, Occupy Avengers, Unstoppable Wasp, Secret Empire, Falcon Champions, Immortal Hulk, West Coast Avengers, Ironheart, Avengers No Road Home, Savage Avengers, Doctor Doom, K Kang the Conqueror, and Scarlet Witch. And that's just like the tip of like, I could question you about each of those. You're working with so many incredibly talented people. And I know like how tight a ship you run because I've talked to people who work <laughs> with you. Uh, wow. But the thing I was most surprised to learn about you is your own creative history as a mm -hmm. writer and as a person who has educated themselves in uh, in some really incredible ways. I would mm -hmm. love to hear a little bit about your journey as a creative professional, if you're willing to share. Sure. Yeah. Um. So I, I started writing at a very young age. Um. Like I was writing like, you know, fantasy novels in my little notebooks in class and like, I think starting in like seventh grade. Um, and I, I still work on um, fantasy and uh, sci-fi novels. I get the feeling all four of us were doing that. Like, no yeah. <laughs> oh, <absolutely. laughs> um, and so, uh, but I think around the end of high school, I got into making fan comics because there was a, a manga I really loved that didn't end the way I wanted it to. Uh, so I, I was like, I'm going to fix that. And so I was I was like big into DeviantArt for a while, doing a, a fan comic for a, a manga called Tokyo Mew Mew. Um, <gasps> Sorry. <laughs> it's very good. It was it was uh, very focused on Kish, which I think will mean something to you and maybe some listeners. But, uh, but yeah, so... Um, so then after that, uh, I did 
some comics work for my college newspaper. And then I was very underemployed for like two years after I graduated because it was a recession. So, so one of the things I started doing just to keep myself like feeling active and connected to a creative community during that time was I started a super Hulak fan comic, um, which is a crossover between Supernatural, Doctor Who, and Sherlock, which is kind of a, a cringe thing now. But listen, it was very in then, and I enjoyed it a lot, and I had a lovely time in a very controversial fandom. Um, You're giving the people what they want. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was so much fun. It was kind of my my way of practicing writing for IP, honestly. Like it was because I, I wanted to get into TV writing at that point. And so I was trying to get a hang of like writing characters that I didn't create and um relationships that I didn't create. Um so that kind of had to go away. It didn't have to go away, but when I started at Marvel, I just didn't have time to do all that anymore. And I, I and still pick away at drawing uh now and then, but I, I don't draw as much anymore. Uh, but I like to. It took you a while to get your foot in the door at Marvel, correct? It did. It did. It was two years, I think, of of I I interviewed two times and got rejected two times. Uh and then I think on my third attempt I finally I finally got in. But yeah, I didn't I didn't know anyone. I think I just wrote a very charming cover letter. Uh and and managed to build some comic experience while I was, you know, interviewing all those times. Um, but yeah, so, and, and now mostly I, I focus on novel stuff, but it's all kind of a slow burn. So there's not much concrete I could talk about because novels take forever. <laughs> so they sure freaking do. I am, <laughs> I am deeply sympathetic on this one. <laughs> Alana, yeah. when, I, when I look at your Marvel resume alone, uh, and obviously we've been through a pandemic and a lot of changes, <laughs> you know, gay marriage passing and like a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> in this history. I, I, I see a series of books in which uh, not only uh, creators that are often underrepresented uh, based based on, you know, ethnicity or, or identity uh, getting a chance to shine, but also a lot of characters. There's a lot of your books that have female leads, diverse voices, mental illness. Uh, I see I see smatterings of characters like Red Wolf, for example, mm -hmm. who get to show up in kind of a lead way. I am so impressed by uh, by like you and Sarah Brunstad and, and editors that are pushing this work and, and making these diverse voices shine and these diverse characters shine. I'd love to hear a little bit about maybe your mission statement in relation to to doing this at this giant company. It's so appreciated. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, first of all, I will say uh, Sarah Brunstad is a very close friend and also my hero. And she's I think she's done like her a lot of the hard work that she puts into this uh, like inspires me to do hard work in this area because she's she's so relentless and dedicated and uh, believes so deeply in things. And I just I find it very inspiring and I'm very lucky to know her. Um, but uh, but yeah, for me, um, like. Uh, I, I think I've told this story before uh, somewhere. I don't know. But like my my first encounter with like the idea of representation was when I was a when I was really young, I was very, very short and very small and no one took me very seriously. And I was terrified of everything. I was like afraid of us moving too close to a volcano or there being an <laughs> earthquake, like not realistic things, like just anything. And um, the first time I read The Hobbit, was like a complete game changer for me because it was a tiny person who was afraid of everything who still got to go on like a big adventure and like had all this this deep um you know well of moral courage within them that they didn't know about and so 
that had a big impression on me at a very young age. And so I kind of try to carry that energy into, into other things I do at Marvel. Um, just because I think, I think we talk about representation in a very generic way sometimes where there, there's a little bit of a, of a thinking that it has to be perfect or it has to be role model or it has to be, you know, one kind of this type of person. And I really resent that. I think I, I want to see very, like, I want to see very messy gay characters. I want to see very, you know, messy mentally ill characters who get to be messy and get to aspire to things and fall short and, make enemies and uh mess I mean, things your, up your work on scarlet witch and unstoppable wasp alone like just yeah. those two at the top like just yeah. incredible representation yeah and and i i put most of the credit for unstoppable wasp to the writer jeremy whitley because he did a lot a lot of research and work um i got to have was... jeremy on recently and i fanned yeah. him so hard I, I'm <laughs> he's great um but but we both felt very passionately about that story and we both didn't we didn't want to sugarcoat it. We didn't want that's my my enemy is like making it too safe. I hate when representation is safe. It's like it's like the bane of my existence when it just feels so like like I think there's a place for that, but it's not really the kind of story I'm interested in telling. Um so I I think I start from a mentality of that like who's going to give me the most interesting take on these this character that won't like treat them with kid gloves or won't be too careful or won't be afraid to break things a little bit um and then I'll try to find a creator um who can bring some of their own experience to it and understand what I mean when I say like you don't need to do the safe version of this you don't need to do the the like PBS version of this <laughs> like we can get a little messier with it um and so that's what I really tried to do and it's not always welcomed by the wider community, but it's fine. Like, I'm not very online these days, but I know that um, early on after Viv Vision came out, like, we mm. we did a story mm. where it looked like she died. I knew she wasn't going to die. Like, but we had to do the, you know, the shock cover of, oh, my God, is Viv Vision dead? I got a lot of angry tweets about that. And I was just like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like any character can die. Like, and also she's not dead. Like, and also know, death like... means nothing in Marvel comics. <laughs> <laughs> right. Is... Yeah. The only person who ever stays dead is Uncle yeah. Ben. <laughs> and she didn't even stay dead for a full issue. I don't think, but like, um, it, it is, I think the one thing that's, that can be difficult about it is people don't necessarily see you, the editor with like human experiences and good intentions, trying to tell a good story. They see, the corporation, the company, telling a story that they don't know whether they can trust or not. And I completely understand that. But it's it's one of those things where when you set out to tell stories like this from a corporation, you don't get the benefit of the doubt uh, from from the, the reading audience. And it's fine. Like, again, I think that's, they're right. I have corporations I don't trust to. <laughs> um, you know, I, I tend to be more, I, I try, when I run up to something like that in a media I consume, I try to be more insightful about like who's working on it and who might have pushed and who might have pushed back and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I think I think really it's kind of our job as editors to kind of take take the feedback, but also you can't be af afraid of the feedback and you can't take it personally. And you can't let it stop you from doing good, progressive, interesting things. 
I'm always amazed at how interconnected everyone is. Uh, uh, <laughs> Leon and I were just uh, chatting about their friendship with Philip Seavey, who's a dear friend of mine. Uh, Leon, I know you're pushing some of these boundaries as well. I'm seeing you work with people like Vita Ayala and, and, and James Tinian. And do you want to uh, comment on this idea of uh, representation or messy characters? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Also, though, I would like to mention that actually, I think I've edited, uh, flatted some of your books, Alana, and I had really? no idea. I Which flatted ones? West Coast Avengers. And, oh, um, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which and I feel like not a lot of people know that I started out flatting, but uh, mm. it, was, it was really fun. And I love that book yeah, so much. I love it's that actually, book. With all my books uh, of my personal, you know, like things that I've been published in and stuff. Uh, it's one of my I've favorites got, I've ever worked on. I've got, a, so major, I've got a major MODOK episode coming out and we get to talk about BRODOK in it. Yes. <laughs> uh, I uh, love uh, BRODOK. Liana, for those who may be unfamiliar, do you want to uh, talk to uh, about what flatting is? Oh, yeah. Uh, flatting is essentially kind of making a paint by number underneath the layer of the inks for colorists to utilize to select areas to easily uh, shade, uh, paint, uh, do lighting things on, things like that. Um, it was a great uh, side gig when I was starting out in comics. Um, and to answer your question earlier, uh, I love pushing boundaries. A lot of books that I work on are either horror or queer or um, unsettling in some way. And I think because I'm so used to being that type of person that's, um, you know, I kind of use it as like a vessel to process things like that have happened to me in my personal life. Um, it's easier for me to do that sort of work in my storytelling and also collaborate with folks like James Vita, um, you know, a ton of amazing, incredible writers and creators. So, uh, yeah. I love pushing boundaries and I love like kind of like Sarah said earlier, I also prefer to really check in with my collaborators to see like what we can do as a team safely and respectfully with each other to tell an important story to hopefully resonate with someone that needs that sort of niche thing given to them as like a gift, you know, um, a lot of I've had a lot of people come up to my booth and you know, say that they either came out or realized that they were non-binary or stuff from like, she said, destroy at fault or other things. So it's really great to have that or, you know, discover my work through this book with Sarah, which is incredible because I think it's like one of my best, you know, works, but also it's very, I mean, it says a very important thing at the end. So, uh, you know, it says a lot about what I feel personally as well. So, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's impressive. I'm asking you guys these like really like broad based, like very serious, like spiritual questions. Very, yeah. But I'm, asking, I'm not used to this. <laughs> I'm asking Sarah very silly ones. Uh, Sarah, because I've met you before, I could ask you silly questions. Uh, you, one thing I think all of us have in common, but I know you and I have in common. What is it that you love about a list? <laughs> oh, oh, I love a list. Um, I mean, okay. So first of all, like I have six planets in Capricorn. I'm a human list. Um, <laughs> I, I'm a very uh, aggressively organized person. And so I love lists in my own life. And then in my writing, in like a background gag, I love a list because I think that like lists are such a shortcut to a joke. 
Um, you, you know, the, the way that you set up a joke, right, is you set up an expectation and then you break the expectation. That's the punchline and lists like shortcut to setting up an expectation and you get to break it and, you know, kind of make people realize that the thing that they thought they were expecting isn't coming, right? This happens in the, um, I don't know if you guys play like Wordle and stuff, but New York Times games has this other game called connections where you're trying to group words into categories and the they the person who writes that game is so cruel to me personally um and will write these categories <laughs> where it's like, yeah yeah absolutely they they have personal beef with me um making this as hard as possible but i also love doing that um in my writing and especially in my comics writing because a list can be a background gag and I am such a sucker for a background gag. I freaking love a background gag. I love having just a little thing in the background, like a menu or a a character's like journal that they're writing or in White Widow um, that I've been the doing with likes, Alana. dislikes list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. An extensive chart of likes, dislikes, and opinions. Quality. So good. Um, it was great. It was great. My fave. It's my favorite thing to do. Uh, Alana, what is your relationship with Silver Age Marvel books? Uh, what's it like for you to go back and read an issue like we did today from 1970, <laughs> which we'll transition to in a minute? I would love to hear you kind of how you approach the continuity of that era. Sure. I mean, it's probably the the era that I'm like least familiar with, if I'm honest. Like I came into reading comics uh, around the like ultimate comics runaways like era of that the like early 2000s uh around there um and i didn't grow up with a comic shop near me so i didn't have someone who was like here's where you can read all the classic stuff um so until i started working at marvel i didn't have access to a lot of it um but i think i think one of my absolute favorite things about reading comics from this era is there's so many words in them <laughs> and it's great like like i mean that genuinely like it it always takes me much longer to read like a Silver Age comic than it does a modern comic. Uh, lettering styles have changed and there's a different density of words that you can get in on a page before it looks nuts. Um, and like for practical reasons, we can't go back to hand lettering, but there was a degree to which hand lettering really let you cram a lot of content in that I miss a lot. And there's a <laughs> lot more panels per page. Um, I'm I'm a big proponent of trying to get as much into a single issue as possible. Um, so so that's one of my favorite things, going back, reading comics from this era. Um, and also, Can I just like, say, I, I deeply appreciate your love of hand lettering and of dense <laughs> panels. I, as you well know, as my editor, I <laughs> often have to go through and trim because I'm trying to cram too much stuff in there. And I think it's because I have the same mindset that you're talking about of like... Yeah. Well, the letterer can make this work because I'm thinking <laughs> in hand lettering. Yeah, and, and they they can't really do like a balloon that goes around each side of someone's head anymore because it would look just <laughs> a tragic loss. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, so uh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say the Silver Age is something I've spent. I, I'm coming up on the third anniversary of my show, and we've been delving slowly through the origins of the X Men because it's the time, it's the place people never go to read. Right? If you start early, you go to Claremont, not to like X Men number one. 
Uh, it's really fun being in this interim era. We're going to be doing a, a, a Jack Kirby story, for example, today, which is which is kind of a surprise for the show as we build toward Giant Size X-Men number one. Uh, Liana, are you uh, an X-Men fan or what's your relationship with the X-Men? Uh, I think my relationship with the X-Men started from the good old boy Sony original movie, which was great. Uh, I love all those movies, even if they're bad, uh, you know, can't complain. I think every actor that's ever portrayed an X-Men pretty much did a great job, uh, <laughs> including obviously all the shows, the new stuff is great. Um, I have, as you know, a lot of friends who have worked in the Marvel X-Men office. So honestly, I think I enjoy it because I get to see it through their eyes and their creation. Um, and get to enjoy these characters they're so passionate about, uh, enthusiastic about, including like um, other journalist fans who are who have commissioned me for X-Men. Any person that commissions me for an X-Men character has a story and tells me exactly why this character means so much to them. And I love that so much because number one, I get to learn more and find out more characters that I never knew about, AKA Chad, you and I discussing <laughs> yesterday. Didn't know a couple of those existed. And two, um, you know, I sent you, I sent you a whole link to Sarah Century and I's White Rabbit episode. If you want to get so to the I'm going to listen to it. I'm so delightful. excited. <laughs> um, most of my, uh, I'm looking at my shelf right now. Most of my Marvel stuff is uh, Runaways or uh, some sort of Hawkeye form or Civil War or um, uh, Spider Man. So, like, I never really grew up with X Men, um, but. I think it's one of the most expansive universes that has so much to say that's really important. And like so many people, including Alana and so many of my friends that have worked on this, use it as a vessel to tell really important things and show people that they're not alone. And I think that's so important and I love it so much. Also, I really wish I could just marry Mystique. Like if she could <laughs> be my wife, that would be okay. great. Okay, get in um, line. <laughs> yeah, me first. I'm just saying. Um, well, we can both marry her. It's fine. Um, yeah, she can change shapes every other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I have a big, I feel like um, I have like a big pull to X-Men just having, you know, uh, things like Legion or other forms of media that got really dark and really intense made me love it 10 times more because I didn't realize, you know, working, I've worked on Star Wars and things like that with the mouse. I didn't realize that they're really allowed to do that. And I, I love that so much. So it's nice to kind of go back and learn about all these characters. Mm. Uh, speaking of the mouse, and this is just a side thought, all these covers that are coming out lately with like the Disney characters in the superhero yeah. costumes, I hate it so much. <laughs> I have not seen these. I would love to see these. Like, like, Mickey, uh, like Mickey Mouse is Iron Man and like Donald is no. Gambit. Okay, <laughs> wait, actually, the first example that you gave there just turned me around because I love just explicitly underlining Mickey Mouse as a weapons manufacturer. <laughs> like, they're really just saying it out loud, huh? <laughs> uh, Alana, as far as I can tell, you've never worked on a book that has an X on the title, but you have worked with a lot of X I've worked on characters. one. I've worked on one. Oh, which one? Uh, I worked on the last issue of the all-female X-Men book by Willow, uh, okay, okay. G. Willow Wilson. And it was because uh, the editor that I was working under 
was moving into the Avengers office, but finishing up his ex stuff. So like I worked on that and I think I worked on like the last issue of like the Storm solo book from then. But it was that I think that's really been it. The closest since then is like probably Uncanny Avengers, which has Yeah, but like down the list, it. like Rogue and Uncanny Avengers, yeah. or Dazzler in A Force, or mm-hmm. like Juggernaut and Savage Avengers. Like you have a mm-hmm. lot of connection to these characters. What's yeah. your connection as a fan to this franchise? Well, I I actually I think the Runaways were probably my first intro to Marvel, but I shortly after that I got super super into Ultimate X Men, like super into Ultimate X Men. I was obsessed with Ultimate Beast. I liked his ponytail. Um, I, I don't know that I like it now, but at the time I was like that ponytail. I'm just I'm very about this. Listen, um, we all gotta have a weakness. <laughs> Mine's lip rings. Yours is ponytails. Yep, yep. And then we'll and then. By. And then they killed him off, um, and I was very devastated. And that year in my ninth grade yearbook, all of my friends thought it would be really funny to remind me that Beast was dead. So I have a ninth grade yearbook where everyone's like, see you next year. Also, Beast is dead. And I was like, thanks, guys. Thank Rude. you. Oh, my God. I just spent... I can't think of a more ninth grade thing than that. <laughs> I just spent ninth grade six... nerd thing. <laughs> I just spent six weeks on my show doing the Beast Turns Blue stories. Uh, I, you know, Beast <laughs> is fine, but I need a break from it. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. But um, but yeah, I think uh after that I I kind of read, you know, whatever X-Men I could find. I got comics from the library a lot, so my reading order was not ideal. <laughs> it was very all over the place. I got really into astonishing X-Men. Um and uh I watched X-Men Evolution, I watched Wolverine in the X-Men, which is underrated, um, short but underrated. Um, it's very good. Uh, and Alana, yeah, so Alana I did like a finger wag with that. Like, I did, I really did. Mean. I actually knocked my pop filter again, and just, I keep doing that. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think one of the times I interviewed, like in the in the multiple times I interviewed, was actually for the X Office. And at the time, I was really bummed I didn't get it, but I've actually been very happy that I've been able to stay in the Avengers office for as long as I have because it's such a wide, wide net of characters that I've been able to work on that, um, you know, X is wonderful. There's a bunch of characters over there, but sometimes I'm like, man, if I was an X, I wouldn't have been able to do like a Moon Knight book or Uncanny Avengers or... When um, when Tom goes over to the X office, are you going with him or are you staying? I am the- not. I am staying behind, um, but I'm very excited for him. I think, I think it'll be, it'll be really cool to see uh, what he does over there because he's just he's got a very interesting brain for this stuff and he's never really gotten to fully apply it to X-Men so I'm very excited like even as a reader to see what he does because I've worked with him for years and he's just a very smart he's dude. He's amazing. So. I have not seen a formal announcement of who's taking over the Avengers office. Has that been announced yet? As, uh, as head editor? I, I think so but just in case I, I won't say because I don't want to okay. blow up their spot but it's it's not someone new moving in. It's it's People have already been there. so Rotating around. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, where now, did you um, oh, I'm I, sorry. Please. Well, I just, I mean, I, I hate to, I hate to come in as kind of a know-it-all, but um, Alana, <laughs> you left out something pretty important in terms of your experience oh. editing X-Men, which is that you and I together have added to the X-Men canon with kind of the, the X-Men, 
uh, with Wolverine making an appearance in White this Widow. This is so true. This is so um, true. We did have Wolverine. <laughs> getting his eardrums blown out by Yelena's explosives, which I think is probably the most important thing that's happened to him in the history of that's the X-Men true. series. I think he'll that's agree. That's really true. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I think that probably hasn't happened to him in a fast food restaurant before. Uh, so yeah, we're probably the first to do that. <laughs> like Speaking of representation, you know, just like getting injured in a fast food restaurant, um, I think it's a story that's going to resonate with a lot of a lot of my fans at least <laughs> certainly going to resonate with me <laughs> uh white rabbit by the way uh for liana once blew up a fast food restaurant because she arrived at 11 a.m and they would no longer serve her serve her a breakfast burrito they were past the hour so she relatable <laughs> she, she right. deserved to blow it up I got i'm so glad i made the that. right choice honestly <laughs> what a vibe <laughs> Okay, we're going to be jumping into a review of Astonishing Tales number two. This is from October 1970. It's called Frenzy on the 40th Floor. It's by Roy Thomas, Jack Kirby, with Sam Granger uh, and Sam Rosen uh, and Stan Lee also attached as the creative team. Uh, the previously, kind of in the previous issue, these are 10-page stories. This is a shared title between Kazar and Dr. Doom. We are not covering the Dr. Doom story. Uh, so last time when we when we got to have Rob Kirby on, we talked all about Craven the Hunter, who was like hanging out in his like taxidermy-designed living room when he saw a live magazine spread of Kazar and Zabu. And he's like, I must have this saber-toothed tiger. So he hired a team to take him to the Savage Land. He pretty easily captured Z Zabu. He battled Kazar on a boat. He had his nipple lasers out. Uh, and then he, like, comes back to New York City and just, like, put a tranquilized saber-toothed tiger in his hotel room where he's hanging out. And now Kazar has come to get his tiger back. That's really the premise. Uh, we're going to launch into our review of this story. Uh, Sarah, I'm going to start with you here. Who's the top and who's the bottom between Craven the Hunter and Kazar? Okay, no question in my mind that Craven is a bratty bottom. I think that Craven is like pretty consistently like, no, no, I'm in charge. But also, I mean, he's, he's just, I just think that the vibe is pretty clear and that Kazar is really delivering some like calm, dominant energy. Kazar is the top for everyone except Shanna the She-Devil, his future wife. <laughs> well, and Shanna the She-Devil, like, is in a class all her own. Yes, yes, she is. Uh, Liana, will you tell us about the cover of this book? The cover? Um, it's, you know, I actually, I was a little sad that we weren't also covering the Doctor Doom thing, because uh, <laughs> I love the split cover. I've never, I don't think I've seen that before. Uh, I don't read a lot of Silver or Golden Age stuff. Um, Dr. Doom is not being very modest in his skirt on this cover. I no, say. he's really not. And <laughs> uh, Kazar is just, you know, showing it all out for the world a little bit. Um, um, if, I, if I can, more like, doc, more like Dr. Doom me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Senator. Claps in the chat for that one. That's a, that's a good one. <laughs> um everyone wants to marry victor uh i you know i have not read any craven stuff prior to this and so i think the cover said it all for me which was um i like i would love i, I like to see beefy men uh wrestle a little mm -hmm. there is a craven the hunter is uh kicking 
Kazar out of a like upper floor window while Zabu's slashing at him. There's a lot of words on this cover. It's split. It's really busy. My favorite part is how Zabu is the hyphen. His little head is the hyphen in Kazar, which is adorable. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 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 well, what were, before we get into the issue, what was it like for each of you to visit this old camp story? It's got a very, like, early 70s, like, cartoon vibe. It's, like, very Scooby-Doo energy in a way. It's really silly. This is a delightfully ridiculous issue. Uh, what was it like for each of you to kind of step into this world for 10 pages? I, I think for older books like this, you're never 100% sure, like, if the humor is going to translate in a modern way a lot of times it does but like sometimes it doesn't at all and you're like what do they mean by that but like but the, there's a page in here where uh craven craven says like excellent then no one will miss you when i destroy you and kazar says you mean if you destroy me and craven says no i said when and <laughs> yeah. kazar says and kazar said if and it's so good <laughs> like, why did they stop to that do that? <laughs> so good. Like, like <laughs> that's that's top quality, perfectly aged comedy right there. And I feel like a lot of times when you read books from this era, there's always at least one thing in there that you're like, dang, that's great. <laughs> so presumably Kazar got a ride to New York City somehow. This guy does descend from British royalty. Like, he's got some money if he needs it. He a private jet. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe he stole. I don't know exactly what happened. Look at those pants. They're expertly crisped and, you know. <laughs> he took time to put on pants and shoes, and then he walked into a hotel shirtless with his hair, like, shampoo commercial glorious. Uh, he, he stormed around. Not a nipple desk. in sight, if I might <laughs> add. He storms into the desk and says, I want to see the man called Craven. You will summon him, please, at once. Uh, the please is hilarious. Everyone in the <laughs> lobby is like, holy shit, this guy is so hot. What is happening? Uh, who, uh, who on this cover page for each of you, like which character or which civilian is most like each of you, uh, if you will? Uh, Liana, you first. I'm absolutely the guy in the back with a half eye open being like, what's happening? <laughs> um, mostly because why would I be in this fancy five-star hotel? And why is there a man shirtless walking in? Well, that's nice. I'm still going to like keep my eye out on him. You know, one eye uh, only. Sarah, which one are you? I'm this uh, this lady in the foreground who really clearly is like, oh, good heavens. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that is such my emotion upon seeing a hot person. I recently um, was at a friend's house and a very hot person started flirting with me and it took me so off guard and I was so, like, I was blushing all over and I definitely had the oh my vibe to me. I was she... going to pick her too. She's got a lot of personality. <laughs> She's like striped business coat, uh, like buttons, uh, like turtleneck, blue hat, flower lapel, skirt, yeah, she's blue purse, and a tissue out. And she, she's, it she's is a loop. <laughs> I, I will say that like, I would aspire to be, there's like a black woman in the background who has an Afro and this incredible outfit on yeah. that is With so fashionable, so sharp. She's it's a wearing Star Trek. It. It's a little bit Star Trek and I like it's it. So like, Star Trek. I was like, I was like, oh, is she gonna is she gonna be like a like an X-Man hanging out here? And then she just we don't ever see her again. <laughs> so, uh, 
Kazar and Craven have both gotten maxi episodes on my show, and we talk about this scene in both of them because it's so funny. Him just like storming in shirtless and demanding to see Craven. <laughs> uh, the man behind the counter says, See here, I don't know who you are, sir, but you cannot walk into the Arlington Arms dressed like that. And he says, I am Kazar. I go where I will as I will. Uh, now, do you are you going to get Craven or I got to seek him out? Uh, he says, uh, Mr. Craven left word not to be disturbed. And he says, I, too, had wished to be left alone in my hidden jungle. <laughs> Craven took my friend. Now, Zabu is Craven's or excuse me, Kazar's brother. Kazar like grew up in the jungle and like Zabu raised him. They like they, they're, they're like family. So this is a big deal for him. The crowd is reacting. Uh, the woman in the coat says, well, that's the wild man Kazar. I saw his picture in Live magazine. And they're like, no, that's not real. It's a publicity stunt. Now, Craven must have been hanging out behind a curtain because he just like jumps out onto a couch with like a net ready. Like, ha ha, I will get you. And everyone in the crowd <laughs> I mean is freaking out. There's a wild man and I'll, I'll go to another <laughs> hotel to stay. He starts swirling the net around his head and uh, there is panic uh, as the crowd tries to run away. We have to talk about Craven's entrance here. What are your thoughts? I think it's iconic. I would challenge... Um, anyone who wants to make fun of this entrance to tell me a time that they've gone into a hotel lobby without a net ready. I bet you can't think of one. I was going to ask if any of you watched uh, Spartacus on Stars because there's one gladiator, like in every group, there's like a gladiator who's the net guy. And all I could think <laughs> about watching this was the Spartacus gladiator who's the net guy. And like, I don't even think the net guy wanted to be the net guy, but they were like, there has to be one. It's a trend. And so I feel like Craven comes from the same school of combat somehow. I feel like this entire scene is what WWE was actually based off of. <laughs> possibly, possibly. I have a gorgeous, if you guys can see it, I have a gorgeous Craven the Hunter on my wall done by Gordon Purcell. Uh, it's beautiful. Costume. It's so fantastic. Craven swirls his bowling net around his head. He traps Kazar in it while yelling things like, uh, he, you please me primitive and every movement you make gets makes the net tighter and tighter. And when you're trapped within its folds, you're mine to do with as I please. Uh, it's very sexy, even though I don't think it's intended that way. And, and he says, and I please to do this. And he punches him in the head and then zaps him with tranquilizer spray out of his nipple lasers. I hope at least one of you like did a spit take when the nipple lasers happened. It's a, <laughs> it's a huge thing a for Craven. It's a huge thing for Craven in the 70s. It happens like a hundred times. And it's fucking hilarious every time. I was at a bar um, in public reading this and texted Gailey immediately, only that panel to be like, tomorrow? Uh, wow, really looking forward to this one. Uh, I want to know the mechanics behind that. I would like to know how that works. Um, we, we talked about it. We think there's like implants and he just like flexes his pecs under the vest. Because it's a real, it's a real like lion skin. Mm -hmm. So does that mean there's tech? In the skinned lion head. Lion eyes over his nipples that shoot whatever he wants. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that this is like the the sexy version of a Care Bear stare. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Like, oh, God. He just, he just feels in his heart how much he lusts for Kazar. And it makes the nipple lasers happen like a sneeze. Like, like, <laughs> like falling in love slowly and then all at once. So Craven goes running for the 40th floor where his prize has been kept. Again, the fact that he checked the saber-toothed tiger into a fucking hotel and just left it in the room. How did no one notice that? And then Is he that, went to hide behind the curtain the in the 70s? lobby. Yeah. 
I bet uh, that it was like, you know, you can only travel on the subway with a dog if the dog can fit in the bag. And so people will like stuff their Rottweiler into an Ikea bag. And I bet that that was Craven the Hunter coming in for this. That's why he has the little boxing gloves on. Why That's how he was way, <laughs> Hazar splits the net open. Someone yells, he snapped that net like so many strands of spaghetti. And then he gives his best Tarzan yell. Cue Carol Burnett uh, at the end of her show. All right. Like, uh, I don't I don't know. Do, uh, do any of you uh, want to do a Tarzan yell? You are more than welcome if you'd like to on my show. There are no takers. I don't, I don't know if I'll yeah, I think pass. I think you did a great job. <laughs> yeah, I don't know um, if I can I won't take that, that away from you. <laughs> uh, we transition the scene to Zabu in the 40th floor, living his best life. Uh, Alana, do you want to talk to us about Zabu's outfit? <laughs> He's got little mittens. He's got little mittens. They're sheathed. His claws are sheathed. I think his, his talons. His paws? I don't think. I think they're not technically talons if they're on a, a cat. His pod were I'll cold and Kazar gave him mittens and it's really cute. <laughs> so he's 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 restrained in terms of his claws, but not in terms of anything else. He was just drugged and asleep, but now he is no longer drugged. Um because he heard so. Kazar yelling 40 yes. floors beneath him, which is yes. <laughs> uh Craven opens the door, Zabu breaks free. Craven grabs a metal bar and like sticks it in his fangs. Kazar like scales the outside of the building. Craven zaps Zabu. Zabu has a lot of shit happen to him, guys. He gets shot a bunch of times. He gets zapped. He gets knocked out. He gets thrown into the ocean. Uh, Animal cruelty. Yeah, yeah. He's had a rough life. There's a shocking number of stories where either Kazar or Craven, and again, I've read the chronologies of both these characters, just beat up fucking animals all the time. Like, Craven keeps like a gorilla or a tiger in a cage. And when he's like having rage issues, he'll like let the animal out, beat it up, and then put it back in the cage. Craven in the 70s is not a good guy. Oh, <laughs> it's, no. really, it's really problematic. Oh, no. <laughs> Again, go listen to the Craven and, and uh, Kazar episodes if you would enjoy that. Uh, then there is a battle. Uh, Craven wants to keep Zabu, likely to turn him into taxidermy, and uh, Kazar is not having it. There is a battle in the hotel room, which then leads to outside. Alana already told us about maybe the best issue in the whole in the whole comic when Craven says, uh, "When I destroy you," Kazar says, "If you destroy me," and Craven says, "No, I said when," and Kazar says, "No," and I said, "If." And they're snapping <laughs> through the glass of the window, plunging uh, to the potential death 40 feet below. Uh, Liana, will you tell us what Craven pulls out of his vest? He pulls out what seems like an unrealistically long uh, blow dart uh, tube. But it looks kind of like he had, uh, you know, what are those stadium packs where you have like the straw connected? Twizzlers. Looks a little bit looks like, like that. A yes, it's, like a, it's like a beer hat straw. Yes. <laughs> It just continue and it never like it always goes off panel and you don't know where it ends. That's my favorite part. The continuity uh, of that. Through which he blows explosive pellets. He like blows through a straw, the pellet hits the wall, and then like fucking explodes bricks all over the place. This is a crazy weapon that I don't think we ever see him quite use again. It's kind of intense. Uh meanwhile, inside, Zabu sees a mysterious man walk in. Alana, do you want to talk to us about this uh this fella? <laughs> yeah, so he's he's very purpley gray. I don't know if we all have the same like color edition. On my color edition, he's purpley gray. And he's got these kind of like saw blade looking eyes. Like they're yellow and they, they look like 
half saw blades coming out. How did he do that? I don't know. It's kind of cool. Granted Um, him by the sun god. We'll learn his origin in the next issue. So yes. So he comes in. He declares himself the petrified man. um, And says Zabu snarls. Do not terrify him. And then kind of cuddles with Zabu a little bit. Uh, we're going to learn more about this guy. Again, for Zaladane fans, especially for those that listen to the Cerebro show, you love Zaladane. This is Garok, the petrified man. Petrified can mean frightened. In this case, it means like what happens like when a tree gets really old and turns like hard and amber or whatever. Uh, this guy's kind of fugly. He kind of looks like Caliban from the Morlocks, if anyone knows uh, Caliban's original appearance. He's kind of wrinkly, but he's got these weird sun eyes. Uh, have any of you heard of Garrock the Petrified Man before? Is this a character that you know in any capacity? I don't think I have. Claremont <laughs> uses him yeah, in some I... early X-Men Savage Land stories. So some X-Men fans are familiar with this guy, but in a very different form. I got to tell you, I have not heard of him, but it was really nice. It was really nice to see a moment of him being so gentle with Zabu, like (laughs) coming up to him and not being like, I'm going to put you in a headlock, kitty cat. But instead, like, hey, smell this familiar smell. We could be friends. Just immediately made me think, Okay, this this is a this is a relaxing man. Yeah, he brought he some like soil, handful... soil of the savage land to let him sniff it and feel well, at home. Well, a handful of uh, jungle soil. <laughs> Zabu's not having his best day. Uh, outside, Craven is blowing up walls. There's there's a funny man, and uh, and Liana, I'll ask you this question. Uh, there's a wall that blows up. The guy's reading his paper, and he just goes, oh, Mona? What, what, is this, <laughs> what is this man's day before and after this moment? Uh, this man's day before and after that is he wakes up at 6 a.m. and asks his wife what he eats for breakfast every morning. And then he also has everything handed to him at all times and then sits out on his porch and reads his paper. And then afterwards, his wife probably cooks him dinner and like says, oh, no, you like this stuff, remember? Um, but, uh, and you know, he might go go out to golf with the guys. This looks very like to me, I know it's not Miami, but these condos are looking very Miami for me. So I'm like, he's probably out golfing <laughs> during the day, doing his due diligence. Um, and then, you know, who else Kez- would he call to if not Kezar- his wife inside? Kazar swings over to like the Golden Girls Lanai. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some ornate vases. He picks one up and he throws it and we don't see it hit, but... <laughs> <laughs> offhand he hits uh craven in the hand apparently and craven's like oh you sprayed my hand and uh uh Kezar then jumps on top of craven who then just shoots one nipple laser to, to <laughs> you know we've all we've all been there where you just you're a little weaker the second time around um can i can i also just i want to highlight that Kezar is picking up this huge ornamental vase betwixt his huge thighs and it's like a very hot girl moment there's this um tiktok account that i i uh respect professionally and platonically where this um female mma fighter crushes different things between her thighs and it really felt like kazar doing a moment of like i could do that and he's doing it while swinging through the air too like he is multitasking while off panel a woman says I mean, I assume it's a woman. Maybe it's maybe it's Mona's husband. <laughs> he's he's discovering some things inside himself. Some things are being awoken within him, and uh, he and Mona are going to have a tough conversation later tonight. 
Craven has this thing where, especially the older Craven stories, where he wants to show he's bigger, stronger, hornier, my dick's bigger than yours. But then the second, like, the subperson starts to overwhelm him, he just runs away. Like, it's it's a thing that <laughs> happens. So he quickly retreats. He swings across the city on a vine. I don't know what that vine is attached to or where it came from, but he is swinging between building Spider-Man. That could be vine. at the blow dart. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and Kazar is ready to go home, but Garak the Petrified Man is waiting inside. I am one who, like yourself, once dwelled deep within the Savage Land, and more I must return there soon or die. And if I perish, then your homeland shall perish with me. Uh, this is a delightfully transcendent, simple, silly, 10-page story. I would love to hear any of your one-two punches that we have not heard. Uh, what are your thoughts about this epic Jack Kirby fight scene? I mean, I think I think Jack Kirby was incapable of not drawing a banger every time. Like, like I think we have wonderful artists who do beautiful action now, but there's just always something so simple and clean and just perfectly framed about the way he does superhero action it's just it's always good it's always good there's always people leaping people like got their arms all over it's great it's great yeah i i couldn't agree more i thought it was incredibly paced um it felt like a full length to me when i i emailed um chad this morning to check in and be like oh are we each talking about different pages or what and i was like it's only 10 pages and i was like wait really i had to go back and check um and there's so much character in the fights, too. I just, I found this to be so delightful. And I would kill for Zabu. It's fun to just see a simple, clean story like this. It's just a simple fight scene. That opening uh, that opening shot of Kazar in the hotel is my favorite. I love it so much. Uh, Liana, what are your thoughts on uh, Jack Kirby's pencils in this issue? Oh, incredibly iconic. Gorgeous. Uh, the I was going to say, uh, like mentioned earlier, the use of writing and lettering um, to carry what could have been a four issue story to 10 pages is pretty incredible, especially because it wasn't as dense as I thought it was gonna be. And how much he fits into every panel is incredible, especially with the movement and um, having that much of an action scene when he was taking shortcuts, like uh, where did that, where did that vice go? We don't know, but that's okay because the writing took care of it. It's genius. It's genius. Um, yeah, it, it was incredibly beautiful and I love his ink work so much. It's 50, so 54-year-old comic book. Uh, this was delightful to talk about. Simple, fun story. Uh, we get to spend this year on my show doing the early 70s stuff guiding up to X-Men. Some of the content is going to get very serious on my show, we're going to be delving a lot into like political agendas and fascism and Nazi organizations and Ku Klux Klan and like a lot of really heavy material as we get toward that stuff. I really wanted to take a moment in between that and just kind of pause with these little cute stories that most X-Men fans have never read. So thank you, all of you, for not only coming on the show, but for just nerding out on this lovely, silly issue with me because we get very serious very soon. Uh, in April, for example, we're doing an entire month we're calling the Sentinel Takeover. Uh, and the Sentinels and what they represent is a very different tone shift that we will get to shortly. Next episode, we get to continue with Astonishing Tales number three. Uh, my guests on that episode is the incredible combination of Luciano Vecchio, Cena Grace, and uh, Patricio Oliver. 
Uh, it's going to be the first appearance of Zaladane, and we get to talk a lot about uh, Iceman and the resurrection of Magneto and a lot of really fun things that are happening in the comics. Now, uh, I had a delightful time with each of you. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. As we are wrapping up, I'd love to hear uh, where people can find each of you online. And is there anything you want to plug? We're going to put this out on February 19th. Uh, let's go Sarah, Alana, and then uh, Liana. Uh, Li Liana, pardon me. Thank you so much for having me on this and for, for letting me read and talk about such a delightful comic with such delightful people. This was such a treat. Uh, listeners can find me online at sarahgailey.com where they can find links to my work and to my regular newsletter, Stone Soup. Um, and in terms of promotion, I am just going to keep on hooting and hollering about White Widow. Um, so four issue, the fourth issue, I believe, is coming out pretty soon here. Um, February 28th. February, February 28th. 28th. Thank you. Um, the fourth issue will be out February 28th, and then you'll be able to read all four issues in this wonderful arc that I had the absolute pleasure of working with Alana on. And you can also buy Know Your Station, which I worked with Liana on, um, our creator-owned comic about murdering billionaires in space. Very timely. <laughs> Thank you so much. Sarah, you're delightful. Thank you for coming back on this show. Uh, Alana? Sure. Um, so th thank you also for inviting me. It was super, super fun. And it was great to finally meet Sarah face to face. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, other than White Widow, which we've said is coming out February 28th, uh, I also wanted to plug, I think I'm working on it next week. We're working on the first or the second issue, actually, of Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, which is a mini series we're doing with, I think, friend of the show, Steve Orlando. I was um, just texting with Steve. He's like, I'm sitting yeah. living room working on Scarlet Witch. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> he's, he's just been killing it on. He killed it on Scarlet Witch 1 through 10. We're continuing the story with Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Um, and we've got more great plans for Wanda down the road. And I think it's just going to be, it's so delightful. Um, our artist is staying on and he draws a freaking great Quicksilver. And uh, I love those characters. So they're great. Um, and also, uh, you can also find White Widow in Thunderbolts, uh, which I think we're putting together, I think the third issue we already sent out. So probably the first two are out maybe i'm not always good at knowing what's out <laughs> I've, I've read the first two so yes that's correct okay good um so thunderbolts has been really really wonderful to work on we're working on it with uh jackson lansing colleen kelly and geraldo borges um and yelena is in that as well being just charming and delightful um and then obviously always read captain america because why wouldn't you because cap is great so <laughs> uh, alana this is a this is a weird thing to say but it's the nicest compliment i could offer someone you have <laughs> the best librarian energy i uh i, <laughs> I worked at a library for a little I bit adore actually <laughs> just like talking and vibing and you just you have this lovely presence i i hope i get oh, the thank you working with you on a book one day you're you're a <laughs> thanks, thank thanks. you so much uh, and oh and i, I should add um, oh, online you can find me usually at uh, Alana Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S, not like Writes for Alana. Um, uh, <laughs> I think that's my my website, my Twitter. I'm on Blue Sky. I'm kind of on Tumblr. So, but I'm not very online. So you can say hello. I just might not respond in any way. <laughs> that's not personal. It's just me trying to have boundaries. Um, but yeah. Oh, wonderful. And then over to Liana Keg. Yes. Hi, Liana. Yeah, good. I love a good, wonderful boundary with the internet. Um, <laughs> my, you could find all of my work at lianakangas.com or any social media at lianakangas. I have a Patreon where you can get cool prints and stickers and 
a million other things. I make cocktails now on them, uh, on there. And, uh, that's the same as well. And I have know your station and true call are out in trade right now. Um, I would love if all of you would read it. We worked really hard on both of those. And I also have some really fun Archie and Godzilla stuff coming up soon. So keep an eye out on that Archie horror and um, the Godzilla 70th anniversary. And thank you so much, uh, Chad. It was so nice to meet uh, you and Alana for the first time uh, all together. This was like so much fun. I haven't been on a podcast with this many people in so long. (laughs) So, and it was wonderful to see my favorite Gailey momentarily. So. My favorite part of the show, I get to meet a lot of people, but creating little ensembles where we all just get to smile <laughs> and nerd out is such a delightful thing because it's a different energy every show. And then we have this through light of the issues. We have a great time. Thank you so much for coming on. And I'm so excited for the uh, for the white rabbit print. Uh, uh, by the way, Liana has this like whole shelf of rabbits behind you. So I'm, I'm really excited that you're doing a rabbit for me. That's wonderful. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that goes all the way up too. Oh, that's They're amazing. All, um, all the Marvel ones, actually. I didn't even oh. think about that. Sarah yeah. Century Sarah Century wants to meet you. If you are not familiar with Sarah, I'll connect to you. Sarah loves rabbits more than anything, and they would love you. Oh, please. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll, that's we'll awesome. Introduction. Uh, lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos, but the three of you are welcome to add me on Instagram if you'd like. You can follow the show on either Discord or Instagram on Graymalkin underscore lane. I, I pitched the next uh, regular episode out right after this episode. We're going to be doing our maxi episode for the month of February, which is the long-anticipated trial of Marvel Girl or Jean Grey. People have been really excited about this one for a long time. It's going to be a genuine joy. We're, we're recording it this Sunday. It's going to be incredible. Uh, so thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much to Alana, Liana, and Sarah. We'll see you back here next time on Great Malkin. Thank you for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Gray Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, It's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Graham Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Graham Malkin Lane.